You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. I'm Vicki Robin, and this is the Earn and Invest Podcast. I remember thinking that I had a mathematical problem, a money problem. How much money did I need to leave my job as a physician that was no longer fulfilling me? So I worked the numbers, came up with a plan, and executed. Reaching financial independence unsurprisingly fixed the math problem, but very little else. What do I want to do with my life? What brings meaning and purpose? How do I look outside myself and have a greater impact and be less self-centered? I turned toward the world and saw social, political, economic, and environmental unrest. What can I do to make a contribution? What is my role? How can I skew all the negativity and pessimism? What could possibly go right? Vicki Robin is the author of two books, the international bestseller, Your Money or Your Life, and Blessing the Hands That Feed Us. She's helped found the Center for a New American Dream, the Conversation Cafes, Sustainable Seattle, the New Roadmap Foundation, and much more. She also serves on the board of the Post Carbon Institute and is the host of the What Could Possibly Go Right podcast. Vicki, welcome to Earn and Invest. When describing your podcast, you write, I hope that what could possibly go right is a resource that helps us all see more clearly, act more courageously, and serve the common good in a time when normal is over and next is not all that clear. My question is, what was normal and what happened to it? It's so interesting. I wrote that pretty close to the beginning of the podcast, which started really right after the pandemic hit. The first thing I did, I had a, I had a young writer living in my guest room and, and she was like, oh my God, you're so good. You should do it. You should do a Facebook live. And I was like, Okay, double dare. And I, for two weeks, I did Facebook Live at 5.05. And I thought, oh, I can do this. And then I thought, there is an old quote, basically said, it was quoted in the shock doctrine. It's like, you know, the only change ha- that happens is in a crisis. And in a crisis, the ideas that prevail are the ones that are sort of lying around. So I thought, I'm going to create the ideas that I think are pro-social, pro-future, pro-environment, pro-law, pro- <laughs> I'm going to create those ideas to be lying around. This is an opportunity. There's an opportunity of basic disorientation and confusion, sort of like after 9-11. It's like such a shock to the system that the system is looking for a way to ground. And so that's what I was trying to serve. Not to insert my point of view, although my guests all reflect my point of view, but ideas that I've been working on for years, not the financial independence ideas that have they've skyrocketed, but so many others about sustainability, resilience, regeneration, local food, you name it, citizen, citizen engagement, all of those things have been marginalized. You know, I recently I realized. You know, I've really resisted the term hippie because I thought, you know, no, 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 I'm college educated. And, you know, I'm like, I was serious about what I was doing. I wasn't just like, yeah. but I think I was an old hippie, you know, and these were like old hippie values. And so I wanted those, I wanted those values to be floating to the surface. And I thought to do it through my colleagues and friends over many, many years working on sustainability issues and conscious money 
by interviewing them. And so I did a dozen of those and realized I'm good at the interview, but I'm terrible at publication. So I approached this organization, Post Carbon Institute, that I feel an incredible affiliation with. And they said, sure, we'll do it. And so that's been a marriage made in heaven. So my idea originally was this idea of seeing more clearly, you know, that we were in a time when the predictable had exploded in our faces. I can't even define what was normal, but I can tell you that I depended on some ground level normal. For example, polarization has been getting worse in this country, but now it's really bad. So there was some normal in my mind, you know, and I'm 77, I'm Biden's age. So I come out of that, you know, there was some normal of public discourse. There was some normal of competing ideas and competing thoughts in a marketplace of ideas. And that through public discourse, we would float the best ones to the top. There was a feeling that that was part of what I would have referred to as normal, that there isn't a center, that phrase of the center will not hold. There wasn't a center someplace. It was a reference point. It wasn't clear. At first, it was, it was, it was like right after 9-11. We weren't blaming anybody yet. We were just like passionately engaged with the people who have been traumatized. And it seemed like that in the beginning, but pretty soon the narratives were being captured. And so that was part of the predictable normal. And the other thing is that even though it looked like the government was taking some responsibility, you know, for like paycheck protection and these programs, it became clear and clear that the grifters who are everywhere were being able to suck off truly, I mean, more than half of the money. So it was, I, I think part of what happened, you know, they, the word apocalypse means the unveiling, you know, so for all my time with your money, your life, I always felt like there's, there's like, I'm just trying to sort of clean up the water, but there's somebody dripping poison into it. You know, I don't know who that is, but I feel like what we've seen is the deeper rifts in this, you know, in the psyche and those, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, you know, the greed and the fear and the, these things are more evident. They're not trying to parade around in some like little, you know, pink pinafore. They just are very, very clear. So I, I think that even, even if the old normal was, was toxic, at least it was predictable or repeatable. It's almost like been the end of this, my lifetime, you know, my lifetime has been the post-World War II lifetime. This whole Every generation is going to be better off. This whole narrative on which the psyche of America was built, I feel like that's what was wrenched at that, that, that time. So that's what I mean about the old normal. And I felt that there was, during the pandemic, I felt there was a window where the marketplace of ideas could land, I thought, well, you know, we can now land some ideas that have been marginalized. It seems to me, although I'm I'm just one observer, <laughs> that it's sort of like the Googleific I can't even say the word, but the Amazonification of life has deepened the zoomification. The, the habit of not going anywhere and not interacting with people, the, the sense, I'm looking at you, but, you know, give it 10 years and you could be some sort of AI manifestation of you. <laughs> I'm not sure which way this is headed. And, and I've actually, I'm changing the, the up somewhat the podcast right now. I'm going from seeing, from clarity because the idea that if you can see more clearly, you can act more courageously, to feeling more deeply. It's sort of like I was calling them cultural scouts, people who see far and serve the common good. Now I think what I'm talking about is uh, social artists or cultural creatives, people who can 
sense the zeitgeist and transform it into something that is an expression of possibility. Because I think we're, we're collectively living through something that is quite traumatic. And in the presence of trauma, you can go in and feel and heal, or you can double down <laughs> and suppress what is troubling you. And I, so I want to just, I want to emphasize the feeling domain more. So that's historic. It's an interesting idea moving from the scouts, the seers, to the feelers. You name the podcast, What Could Possibly Go Right? My reading of that is is a fairly optimistic look at the future. Tell me from the feeler's standpoint, is that how you're feeling about what our future looks like? So my my ground of being is that in every step we take, a world of possibilities opens up and a world closes. Some possibilities are very easy to land and some are not. But so what could possibly go right is more of a sensing or seeing or observing those possibilities that we might add our weight to that could... Go for me, right is compassion, connection, <laughs> creativity. Right is is sort of a menchy society. <laughs> you know, right is definitely understanding that that we live because of the generosity of the natural world. We are born into a world with, you know, just the right formula for us to exist. And so right for me is the protection of not like obsessive like protection but it but but coexistence with the natural world in a spirit of respect i mean there's a lot of things that i could go on and on about that what i mean by right but i'm not promoting a right way i'm promoting a capacity to act in the presence of ambiguity and complexity a sense that I can orient myself in time and space and culture, and I can stay conscious, I can stay intelligent, I can stay menchy, I can, and I can engage. And in the next moment, something else might come. So I don't have an agenda per se. I mean, I could probably rattle things off if I was, <laughs> I was the queen of the world, which I sometimes want to be, but it's more of that. And it's really the the title was sort of a toss-off joke, you know, from what could possibly go wrong, like what could possibly go wrong, which we know everything could. But that sense of, I think it's possibly. There is a podcast that's, that is like something of a, a Masters of the Universe knockoff on ours called What Could Go Right. And it's, it's more in the Steven Pinker, you know, like there's a lot of, you know, it's the best, it's a little bit feels Panglossian to me. See, I'm all into participation. I think that that life is a, it's not a spectator sport. It's what I value is is people getting at least a glimpse of what the game is and getting on the game board or getting on the field and out of the bleachers. So that's not defining right and wrong. That's defining possibility. You know, it's interesting because Admittedly, when you started this podcast, it was about asking the cultural scouts, right? And now you're talking about something that feels a little more, at least to me, sounds a little more empathic and artistic and creative. I'm wondering what the difference between those type of people are and the quote unquote experts. Like, how do you differentiate that in your brain? I would say the experts have, you have to have a huge heart to devote yourself to the level of education and career building around important issues. I mean, you could, you know, work your way up in a, sort of a, an accounting firm, but I think the people who are working on the most pressing issues of the day have huge hearts. But the thing is, is we have to keep our hearts in hiding because the heart is identified with weakness, with the feminine, 
with irrelevancy, with insanity. I mean, we are very suspicious in, in this highly mental society of the heart. So I think there's a lot of people with their hearts in hiding. Because what else motivates somebody to spend 20 or 30 years of their lives on climate science? You know, if you have that kind of mind, you could apply it to something that gets you more money. So I, I think I'm inviting people to bring their hearts out of hiding. I could probably interview, you know, the entire panoply or pantheon or whatever you want to call it of climate scientists or environmentalists or progressive politicians. And I could ask them, how, how is it that your heart prompted you to do this? People I work with are, you take your heart. I mean, for example, myself included, myself, <laughs> you know, your money, your life, even though it's a very concrete down to earth, money program underneath it all it's all about living your values it's all about introspection what makes life worth living to me it's not about it's not like saying oh you have to be a social activist just the way vicky is not a bit you get to choose whatever you do but it is grounded in love it's grounded in love but we just don't talk about it we used to talk about with the New Roadmap Foundation when Joe Dominguez, my co-author, was alive. We used to talk about our work. We did work in relationships and health and money and dialogue. We used to say those are all, what do we call them? They were, just, they were just like metaphors for teaching love. They were just places of pain in the society, places where things are going awry and people are asking the question, is this really the best way to do it? I have never not been about love. <laughs> I've had to learn how to be about strategy, but I've never not been about love. And I personally, I've been going through quite a transformation myself. And a lot of it is, is surfacing the places I had felt in myself. I had to hide in order to do the work I wanted to do. You know, with your money, your life, I, I sort of adopted a, a sort of a, a, like an obsidian <laughs> surface, you know, because I knew that any little thing I said that was off, you know, somebody would go like, ha ha ha, you see, I don't have to do that. And I was on a mission. I, I'm going to, I'm going to change the way Americans think about earn and spend money for the sake of the planet. You know, <laughs> so I just, I, I hardened my surface to do the work. I put on armor to do the work. And it's taken me a long time to take the armor off. I think that's what I'm going to be. I, I think that's what I'm going to, that's what I'm really advocating when you come right down to it is a heartfelt response. Because I don't think I think people are quite manipulatable. You know, people people will give you all sorts of like sound bites to manipulate your heart, you know, make you scared of, about something and make you long for something else. And then boom, they have you. It's almost, you know, when you come right down to it, it's almost a religious avocation. I've never said that. And it's risky to say it because like, Oh my God. <laughs> but I feel, I, 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 it feels almost ministerial, if you will, ministering to a society that's in pain through bringing forth these amazing voices of people who are doing very cool stuff. And in them, you see like a, the brilliant heart-mind beating. So I've never said that before, so I just said it. You know, and anyway, you know, I'm doing this in the context of the Post-Carbon Institute. And the Post-Carbon Institute has, they say that they deal with the four E's. Environment, energy, economy, and equity. Mm -hmm. And they said, like, we at the Post-Carbon Institute are dealing with the, the complex systems that are, that are in shift. I think my podcast, in the context of Post-Carbon, is bringing a fifth E, which is empathy. 
you're spot on in observing that. You know, I want to key on on this idea of scouts, because I think that forms a nice contrast to this idea of ministerial. And when I put you in that context, I think of Vicki Robin, the co-writer of Your Money or Your Life, being one of those kind of very logical scouts. But when we talk about ministerial, when I think of, of religion or ministry, we have logic, but then there's also a leap of faith. There's an emotional aspect, which we can't use straightforward logic to explain. Up to this point, when we talk about those four E's, when we talk about equity, when we talk about environment, we've used very logical, quote unquote, professorial terms. What we haven't done is moved more towards that leap of faith realm of empathy and emotion. Is that what you think we've been missing in the conversation? I just think that whatever the future holds, if you go only with a rational fix, you are missing what makes us human and what makes nature beautiful. For example, on responses to climate change, you know, that we're, we're just, we're so, we're so close to the edge. And I don't know if we're over the edge or close to the, I don't know where we are in terms of the edge. But we reach for the techno fixes because we want to control things and we're habituated. If humans are anything, we're habituated to control. You know, we figured it out all the way back to fire, you know, so not, not fire, <laughs> you know, real fire, the real fire, all the way back to real fire. But I don't think that there's any system even if a system privileges the mind, I don't believe that there's any system that would exclude the heart. I just, I mean, look at you. <laughs> Trained as a doctor, but, you know, when your heart came alive in the presence of people who were toward the end of their lives, your profession had meaning. It, 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 it called you in a different way. And, and you, could, you could call this values. You could call it em empathy. You could call it the social glue. You know, I've been for years, I've been going like, we're losing something, you know, like we're losing something called the social glue and we're going to be really sorry when it's gone. I am not clear how this all shakes out. I just think that heartless solutions make more problems. Heartless solutions take us down a road where it's not a problem that we're clearing the Amazon. That's not a problem. It's a solution. You know, the solution is, well, we're feeding the world. If it's not the cows, it's the soybeans. The war in Ukraine is a solution to something, some framework that has been developed in the Putin administration, if you can call it that. So, and I also don't think, you know, I'm, I'm pretty progressive, but I don't think that conservatives are heartless. I think they have a heart for something else. I wish I were more articulate because I'm used to being articulate about the things I'm, I'm talking about. There's no human system really, that denies the heart. Whether you, whether you talk about spirituality or religion or whatever, you talk about a ministerial function or, you know, therapy or compassion, you know, whatever you talk about, when you're talking about that thing that is non-material, that makes life meaningful, life has no meaning when it's mechanical, at least human life. The risking social artistry or cultural creativity, risking that as a ground of being is a contribution. And it just really reflects my own, my own evolution. You know, the pandemic gave us a lot of time to think about things, a lot of interiority, a lot of, you know, less busyness. And for me, it was really diving deeper into my, my being, being less about the issues I was working on and clever arguments and, you know, 
it, it had less drive and it had more appreciation for the heart of the matter. I'm interested and I'm listening very closely because in a lot of ways, some of this really ties back to the introduction I read. You know, for me, financial independence was a mathematical and logical solution to something that wasn't a mathematical or logical problem. It was a heart-based problem in the end. Who am I as a person? What are my purpose and identity? How do I connect with the greater world? And and what is my what is my contribution and gift? It was actually only after I let go of the mathematical solution and started questioning some of those more, what I would call empathic, what I think you call heart-centered or even artistic feelings that I actually was able to answer the question that I thought fire was going to answer for me. And there's where I kind of see the connection with, I believe what you're saying is we're searching in the wrong place because we haven't found a way to integrate some of that logical and factual part with some of what our heart desires and how we empathize and connect with other people. Is that a safe statement? Yeah, you framed it logically in a neither or, which I don't think it is. I think it's a heart-infused logic and a logic-infused compassion. You know, they say the heart without the mind is is, you know, just it's soft and un, soft and unfocused. I don't know what the phrase is, but I mean there is some saying about this. So I think it's I think it's more like bringing the heart into the affairs of the world. And, and a lot of our lives are spent, like we just did taxes, a lot of our lives are spent in this calculation, whether it's a calculation of your career or the calculation of what college or that we're calculating all the time about like, how do we participate in a society that's run very much out of the mind, out of competition, escalation, you know, scarcity. We're living inside a set of mental models of control, competition, individualism that have been powerhouses of economic growth. I used to say when I was doing Your Money, Your Life, it's like, you know, the way consumer society works is every time you can break a bond, you can double consumption. <laughs> like you have a marriage. And, you know, you have one washing machine, one dryer, one this, one that. You, you break up a marriage and you suddenly got two consumers. And so the dynamics of the consumer culture, and we're now we're back into the financial, the dynamics are to break the bonds between people and have you bond with products. I guess there's another way to say it, that I'm, I'm looking at the social bonds and it's we're so individualistic that the social bonds feels like bondage, like you're not going to tell me what to do. It's 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 dicey and it's delicate. And so all I can say is that the people I want to feature now are people who are like I just had I just interviewed a woman named Sarah Kroll, who's a, who's a she's a dancer and she started something called Destiny Arts in Oakland to you know, help kids at risk, mostly kids of color, you know, through dance, through martial arts to help them get a ground on things. Brilliant, heart-based woman. I interviewed Christina Baldwin, who she's a writer and she's a writing teacher, but she's also been an advocate for a circle process that if you take, if you put people in a circle, you know, put a centerpiece in the center of something and a process of sort of listening in, that people will find their way. So I'm, I'm interviewing people like that. I'd love to have Cory Booker on my show. I mean, what a heart-based guy. He's, he's a guy who's willing to talk about love in the affairs of the world. Marianne Williamson would be on my show. That would be great. I want to have Van Jones. You know, I have. So these are people who will cry in public, who care enough to position themselves in a way that they can they can have influence, but the influence they want to have is that we're, we're together in this, that we can make beauty together. We can make music together. We don't have to make war together. Mm -hmm. 
We are talking to Vicki Robbins. She's the author of two books, including the international bestseller, Your Money or Your Life. She also is the creator and host of the What Could Possibly Go Right podcast. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R. USA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. Hey, everybody. I just wanted to remind you, if you want to find out what is going on with the Earn and Invest podcast or me, Jordan Grummet, there are a few ways to get more information. One is that you can go to my personal website, JordanGrummet.com. That's J-O-R-D-A-N-G-R-U-M-E-T.com. There you'll find links to my medical blog, my financial blog, as well as the Earn and Invest podcast. You'll also learn what is the newest, latest, and greatest when it comes to my book, Taking Stock, which will be coming out August 2nd. We're going to make the push for early or pre-sales in July. You can find it on Amazon, Books a Million, Barnes and Nobles, you name it, you can find it there. And last but not least, visit us on Facebook. The best way to get there is earnandinvest.com slash Facebook. Again, that's earnandinvest.com slash Facebook. In our Facebook group, we discuss everything from personal finance to current events to what's happening in our world, as well as I post every episode there. So check us out. A few different ways to reach me, either at jordangrummet.com or at earnandinvest.com slash Facebook. I hope to see you there and become part of the Earn and Invest community. We're back with Vicki Robbins. She helped found the Center for a New American Dream, the Conversation Cafe, Sustainable Seattle, the New Road Map Foundation, and much more. She also serves on the board of the Post Carbon Institute and is the host of the What Could Possibly Go Right podcast. Vicki, I'm interested in this heart-centered approach or what I'm now going to dub this heart-centered approach. Let's talk about the Great Resignation. I can't think of a more interesting way to discuss the heart-centered approach than this big thing that's happening right now. How do you think it connects to what we're talking about? Do you think this is a good example of mm. moving away maybe from from the previous way of thinking and, and thinking more through the heart? You know, I did a survey of the subculture in the FIRE community that I really resonate with is a Facebook group called Socially Conscious FIRE. It's the people who are really trying to figure out, you know, I'm questioning capitalism, but I'm a capitalist. Uh, You know, it's like, how do I reconcile? They're really trying to reconcile from the heart and soul, from their value set. How do I get a financial ground underneath me and live my values? And, (laughs) you know, I mean, how do I live with myself? So I put that question about the great great resignation, and I listed off like about 15 reasons that people have given for the great resignation. And did a survey. It's all very casual. It's not really social science, but like a hundred or two hundred, I don't know, responses. In my analysis of them, the center point was what I would call dignity. And part it was like, wait a second, wait a second. This is not collective sacrifice for the common good. This is my boss making out like a bandit and me not getting a penny more. And it's just beneath my dignity to do this. I think people had a chance, you know, to figure out online ways to make money. I think people had a chance to figure out a lot of like scale up their skills or or some people are close enough to financial independence that they did it. But 
I think that question of dignity, and that's a question of who who I am as a person. I am not a I'm not a cog in a wheel. I'm not a a factor of production. And I'm not going to give the best years of my life to them. And I'm going to figure something else out. I think there's a a felt sense right now of injustice that is so. I think it's you know this is also like the shifting ground that we're going through to pandemic. There's housing injustice. It's not just them. It's not just the marginalized. It's not just them that's going through this. It's all of us are going through that real estate has become financialized and that Airbnbs and vacation rentals have become such that that the available housing for the middle-income people in our communities is disappearing without a and a commensurate increase in our salaries so we can keep pace with the cost of living it's not just like biden and inflation no this is like systemic what's going on is the is the is the opportunity and the wealth is going to the top doesn't mean that that personal initiative doesn't mean any of that. Still, you know, if you want to succeed and you work hard and stuff like that, these opportunities are there. But I think increasingly people are recognizing that the promise of a middle-class life is almost gone. And people at the top are not even feeling obligated to make believe that they can, you know, it's like, so I think the great resignation for me in that survey, uh, that's what I saw. And I don't know how this shakes out. I don't know how people, younger people particularly, are going to make a life out of the scraps that they are being offered at this point. And I know that's hyperbole and, you know, there's lots of, lots of you know, I don't want to be hyperbolic about this, but there is a sense that Whatever this system is, it is clearly favors the people who already have wealth. It it also brings up an interesting question to me. You know, we think about some of this injustice. We think about losing the middle class. We see the Great Resignation as a response to people being unhappy where they are right now. When I think of ways to fix this my brain jumps right back to the kind of logical rational, right? So we need higher taxes, we need stronger unions, all those kind of typical, in my case, Democrat arguments. What does a heart-based approach look like to the same thing? So, and I'm not expecting the easy answer for this, but I'm thinking about when you talk about equity and you were talking about the woman that you interviewed who started dance programs and martial arts, as a heart-based approach to equity, that clicked. And I said, okay, that makes a lot of sense. I'm wondering out loud what a heart-based approach to, let's say, income injustice looks like and, and how, we, how we go about that as a nation. Because I think it's, I, I see completely the logic or I see completely where you're coming from. I just, I wonder how we implement that. So one thing, I mean, it might sound like I'm I'm jumping out of a heart-based approach, but one thing I think is is we've lost critical thinking. And I know I'm, I'm talking about cri- thinking now, so I don't want to like either or. But the capacity to unpack what you're being told by politicians, by bosses, by everybody, and be able to say, unpack it and say, what does this person want me to do? And is it really in my best interest? What does this person, is this in alignment with my values? That's one thing, is being able to teach people, well, you could call it media literacy. Media literacy is a heart-based approach. It's being able to ask the question, you know, what is this really about? How am I being manipulated? And what what are my values? And what am I going to act on that's congruent with who I am? Another thing is that's out there is social emotional learning. This is a field where people, kids are like they have morning circle. You know, they learn to speak about their feelings 
there was that Pixar movie about feelings. I forget what it was called. All the Pixar movies really are about feelings. They personified, you know, fear and and gluttony. They personified these things. So anything that that encourages you to take a second look at the automaticity, that is not hyper-rational. That is like respecting, it's self-respect. I think, I think we need more contact with one another. You know, so potlucks and socials and the, you know, where I live, the Island County Fair, the opportunities to increase the social glue, to be able to say to somebody, I could not disagree with you more, but we both love (laughs) whatever it is, the annual whatever, the annual parade, to be willing to show up, to be able to, to, to work with our own discomfort and our own alienating desires to protect ourselves and alienating ourselves within our own thought bubbles and our, our own bubbles and, and participate. We just need to flow into one another's worlds Without fear, judgment, with curiosity, these are all human qualities that the absence of which allows us to be so manipulated and separated. So I think radical, really, during the last administration, I used to say, I'm getting so centrist, but I think centrist is the most (laughs) radical thing I can do. It's radical is wanting to connect to sort of honoring the the dignity of another human being no matter what their political or religious affiliations are it's very difficult you know it's like in my community there's there's an organization that has become largely dominated by people who are part of the 3% understood as a militia group they understand themselves as an inclusive potluck having social club, you know, teaching their kids, right? They identify themselves as a heart-based group, but they're identified from the outside as affiliated with the January 6th uprising. You know, so I'm not saying anybody's right or wrong. I'm just saying to get curious about the beating heart of of, of things that you don't agree with. Because until we can have a heart-to-heart with somebody about how did they come to their beliefs, oh, okay, well, here we go. You mentioned the conversation cafes. After 9-11, some friends and I, it, there's a longer story to it, but you know, we built out this, this technique that we had developed over the summer in 2001 that we eventually called conversation cafes. And it was, it's a way in in public spaces like cafes or wherever for it's a very simple form that's a container that holds safety so that people can express their points of view without being like murdered by one another and there's a set of agreements that in mostly you know most of the agreements are listening you know it's like six different ways to say listening uh but we had three questions that we suggested that if the conversation got heated up and one was i'm curious what led you to that point of view very interesting somebody says something to you and you think that is insane (laughs) you know but then you say well what led you to that point of view usually it's fear usually it's fear and you know the other thing is when somebody has a sense that they've been heard. So another question we have is, I have them right here. Oh my goodness. What happened that led you to that point of view? How does this affect you personally? Like when people are talking about the policy and the da 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 well, how does this affect you personally? Then you're asking for their heart. Or I'm curious, can you say more about that? And maybe somebody's only taken one line from their favorite you know, television personality, and they pound on that one line, you know, but they have never, 
they've n- never been able to articulate. And so you, you can almost watch people, people's eyes roll back and start to look at their own thoughts. So I think what I'm talking about is becoming conscious. And, you know, a lot of times we talk about consciousness as though it's disembodied, but consciousness is, is within our bodies. It's consciousness. Our body is consciousness. Our, you know, our seeing, feeling, tasting, touching, that's all consciousness. And then here's what I heard you say. Is that what you meant? That is like astonishing. Then you're going like the person can say, no, no, that's not what I meant. I said this, this, this. Oh, okay. Let me see if I get it. When somebody feels heard, they come to a sense of peace. It's like so much of the yelling in our society is because people are frustrated, they're afraid, and they feel like they are not being heard. And they are, we are surrounded in a society of people pounding on the table, pounding, 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 because they have not been heard, because nobody stops to really inquire. That's, a, that's hyperbole. People stop to inquire. But I guess this is, this, these are pieces of it. Thank you really for this question. These are pieces of what I mean about a heart-centered, you know, mind engaged, critical thinking engaged, clarity engaged, but, but bringing the, your heart to the party. I guess that would be a way to say it. Bringing your heart to a par- the party. You know, being willing to see somebody that who's like so like alien to everything you think being able to see them as like another human being that you're interested in because you have to be because there they are. And we know historically, honestly, we know historically that the unresolved issues of a war become the next war. Another one is the truth and reconciliation uh, process in South Africa. And there's been a little bit in Canada and Australia. There's been sorry days. I'm sorry for what we did. I'm just waiting for the United States to say, some leader to say, while we're very grateful for this country, we're grateful for the Constitution, we're grateful for our traditions, we're grateful for all this, but we recognize that, that this country was built without recognizing the full humanity of people who were hurt. And we're sorry doesn't mean we're going to like empty the treasury and, you know, buy all your children, you know, pass to college. It doesn't mean that. It's like, it's like reparations are not how many dollars go where. It's repairing the torn fabric. This is, I think, you know, I think this is everywhere. I think this is everywhere. And it's like, you know, you watch the war in, on Ukraine and you go like, this unraveling, it's going to have to be re-raveled. You just like, we're all getting like our knitting needles out, you know, like, because <laughs> after, after all these buildings have been bombed, these, the people are going to have to go somewhere. The movie you were talking about where the feelings are personified was uh, Pixar's Inside Out, I believe. Right, right. Inside Out. Yes, Inside Out. That's, that's exactly it. I was interviewing Jeremy Schneider, who does an Instagram and platform called uh, Personal Finance Club. And as part of his platform, he had listed out 10 investing principles. And one through nine were the ones we're familiar with because we're financial people. That was important in our lives, especially at one point. But number 10 was do the right thing. And I asked him about this, and it really draws me to this conversation we're having right now because do the right thing is kind of this amorphous blob that was thrown at the end of his investing principles. But in some ways, I think it really does mirror this heart-centered approach. Like we kind of know internally what feels right and feels wrong. We've been so polarized, I think, as a community that often we think we're taking a heart-centered approach because we know it feels like doing the right thing for us and our friends and our family is what I really get the sense you're talking about, which is the larger conversation is taking that next step and saying, okay, I know what feels like doing the right thing for me is what is doing the right thing feel like for everyone else? Maybe those people who don't think like I do. And how do we start integrating that and having these conversations? That's really what 
our conversation reminds me of here today. And I certainly think it's something we need very badly right now in this very media-focused, polarized world we live in. Right. And and bringing your heart to the party on that one. You know, imagine me bringing my heart to the party if I was on Joe Rogan. You know, I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Maybe he maybe we could do it. Maybe we could get there. I'd like to see that one. Yeah, I'd like to see it, too. I, I'm 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 ready. You know, <laughs> swords out. No, but it's the golden rule. You know, I think at this point, if you inquired, you know, general folk, high schoolers, da, 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 what is society? I think people would be much more hard pressed to say what that is, you know, because, because society is, is like shared values, shared rituals. It's the, it's the space we share where we can come into the social sphere and we understand what it is and we can function there and feel somewhat safe that there's rules of the game, there's boundaries. I just think that's weakening. So another way to say this is that all I'm talking about is the golden rule. Yeah, it really is. You know, my friend Hazel Henderson, who's like a brilliant kitchen table economist and futurist, et cetera, we did a podcast together and it was like the golden calf or the golden rule. Do we worship money or do we understand ourselves as part of a fabric of society in which you understand that if you contribute to the common good, it's not automatic, but there's something called the common good that you can draw on. It's like a social bank, if you will. We're banking on one another. And the more we talk, and I really appreciate this because I haven't had this ability opportunity before to try to distinguish what I'm talking about. The more I talk about it, the more I I am that I'm right. <laughs> no, but I mean, the more convinced I am that this, there's a there there about this. I wrote well, a while back a book that's never gotten published, but it's informed everything I've done since about, I wrote it about freedom and that, you know, we need to get out of this freedom is entitlement meme, which is, you know, really ruining the social glue. And I said, you know, there's, there's two hidden freedoms. That, you know, we talk about freedom from control and freedom to do as I please, but there's two other freedoms. And one is, what is freedom for? It's purpose and meaning. It's like, what am I going to use this gift of life for? What is freedom for? And the, the hardest one is freedom with, is just as I am trying to enact my own freedom, the capacity of my will and heart and body to organize themselves to express what I want to express, every other living thing is enacting their freedom. How do we all swim in this shared water such that we can all experience ourselves as free? You can think about, like, we're in sort of a New York City subway of people, opinions, ideas, everything, and we're all jammed together. Can you imagine how, how could everybody on that train have a feeling of space? How they have a feeling of space, I think, is trust. I am safe here. I am safe among my fellow humans. The people who are around me wish me well. If I have to get out of the subway, there, you know, I'm going to go on a sea of cooperation, <laughs> you know, and I'm going to get out the door. It's like we are, we are functioning like a zero sum society and we're packed together like sardines. So this idea of the social glue or the heart of the matter or bring your heart to the party or any of the other like ideas that I've been tossing out. That's what, what I mean when I say I, it feels a little bit like a ministerial function. My platform 
gives me the opportunity to speak from my heart and let it go where it will. It's not even in order to do anything. As soon as you say in order to, you're back in the control mechanism. Well, Vicki, I wanted to thank you for coming on this show today. The conversation we had today, I imagine, is part and parcel or maybe the beginning of many conversations you will have on what could possibly go right. If people want to know more or want to get in touch with you, or certainly if they want to listen to the podcast, what is the easiest way for them to do that? The podcast is you look for what could possibly go right on any platform, Apple, Spotify, da 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 it's published by, it's sponsored by the Post Carbon Institute. It's published on resilience.org, which is a fabulous um, platform, some original writing, some republished writing that has all to do with resilience, you know, economic, uh, you know, environmental, social justice, resilience, you know, a strong creative society so resilience.org is the platform really worth reading it that's who publishes us my website is vickyrobin.com that's where i blog and i think that's probably enough this has been the earn and invest podcast on behalf of myself doc g i'd like to thank vicky robin that's a wrap Awesome. I keep the recording going just for a minute or two to catch anything afterwards. Anything you feel like we didn't talk about that you wanted to talk about? That's a big loaded question. I I did that. You know, I do that with my podcast. It's like, okay, we're done. And then I don't stop recording. Um, Mostly we don't use it, but some of the best stuff is that. I don't know. I, I really appreciate this. I appreciate the opportunity to be totally outside I already knowing, you know, if I just kept to the cultural scout idea, I probably would have been in better shape with my sound bites. But I I feel more convinced of my (laughs) what I'm doing. I'm laughing because I had a bunch of questions based on the cultural scout issue. I'm like, that's going out the window. Yeah, but I mean, I think. I mean, I think it's a wonderful idea, and and I should have probably talked more about. Okay, let's see if I want to say anything about cultural scouts. We're, we might drop something in, but I also think it's an evolution, right? I mean, Vicky Robin, as we know her, the public Vicky Robin, is an evolution, right? Where you started with Joe Dominguez is not where you are today. Not a bit. And probably where you start with that podcast is not where you're going to end. It's it's beautiful evolution, right? It's this idea that we start in one place and build and change. You've had all of these cultural scouts, quote unquote, mm-hmm. um, who've affected you. They've given you ideas. They've spurred your own ideas. They've touched your emotions. Maybe they've pulled on some of those heartstrings in a sense, too. Um, well, for example, when I talked to Reverend uh, Yearwood... Um, Lennox Yearwood, who uh, is the head of the Hip Hop Caucus. He's trying to bring, let young, you know who he is? Yeah, I, I know who he is. I don't know a lot about him, but I, I definitely. Yeah, he's trying to, trying to basically say to young people, you don't have to be anything other than you are to come to the pol- political party. And when I spoke with him, he said that the environmental movement had missed the mark back when Trayvon Martin was uh, murdered. Because had we understood that the things that we cared about were were just exactly the same as the threat to African Americans, the marginalized, the you know, if you will, back in the day, the polar bears were the symbol. But you know, it's like the the marginalized forest, the marginalized. You know, love is marginalized in this society. Caring about those who do not demand your attention. He said, if we had gotten back there, gotten in whatever it was, seven, eight years ago with the murder of Trayvon Martin, if we'd seen common cause or what they call intersectionality, the environment, we would not be in the climate crisis that we're in. And I was like crying, like, really, exactly. You know, like, you're exactly right.
Um, so some people were um, obvious about those, um, but some of it was just listening to where people were coming from. I, one of the people who's a philanthropist that I spoke with, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to necessarily mention his name, but, you know, his, he had enough money that there were groups that had come to depend annually on, on the money. And he shifted his focus and it was very difficult because the groups had depended on him, but he saw something that was more important and he was willing to change. He's a musician. You know, so it's like, I think that my guests by and large have brought their hearts to the party. If anybody listens, we have 75 episodes now. Just listen to any of them and yeah. you will hear a heart-based response to the cultural scout question. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what, uh, at least a third of them are overtly that. And the other two thirds are people who are very um, prominent. I mean, you know, back to Susie Moser, who was, you know, an environmentalist, she talks about empathy. It's, it's almost to the person. Yeah. And, 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 and maybe that's, you know, being a cultural scout is getting the heart-based approach, right? I mean, I think in a sense, those, so what a scout is someone who's seeing the future, they're seeing the trends and they're, they're naturally picking up on that, right? Because that is maybe where we're going, right? Well, a scout is somebody, it's a person in the community who has a particular skill, who's sent out to the edge mm -hmm. to take a look yeah, and bring yeah. back word of what's on the horizon to the community so the community can see what's going on and make choices. A scout can sound like an individualist, self-interested, you know, maximizing profit person. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm scouting out opportunities right. for myself. But the cultural scout is really in service to society. You know, it's like, mm. it's almost like we have this, like, like this translation machine that goes on where we always hear personal advantage, no matter what you say. Um, and, and then, you know, individualism. I really like it, you know? <laughs> I mean, I I have used all of the tools of Western society for my own ends, you know? Financial independence is that. And tr the truth of the matter is also, I mean, pe people see me as a financial person and hyper-rational, but I've been, mostly I have been, an, if you will, an environmentalist. You know, when I saw, back in 1989, the reality that if we keep going the direction we're going, we're going to fall off a cliff. Yeah. We're destroying the world. And, you know, and I was like, that came out of the Club of Rome report in the 1970s. So that's what motivated me, was protecting the living earth. I was never motivated by money, you know? I mean, I just figured out how to have enough yeah. and to liberate my time to be able to be that kind of person to put my attention where I wanted to. So Joe was the really hyper-rational libertarian type. I was always the sort of heart-based, you know, somewhat sloppy. <laughs> you know? So, um, but the two together, I mean, it's sort of like me and Joe together was like a, a, an engine of this transformation. It couldn't have happened with either one of us alone. Yeah. I think they're magical together. And I, I mean, you know, basically my my hypothesis with my book is actually you you can't have one without the other per se like you can they're just not as effective i guess right so like mine is more personal centered right you can't kind of focus on your purpose identity connections why are you here on this earth until you get the money part at least somewhat figured out but i think when you look outwardly focused too i don't think we can figure out the environmental or social justice or any of that stuff unless we're at least rational about the money part. Um, our problem, again, maybe is is that we're not, sometimes on these bigger issues, we concentrate on the money part. If we just put more money towards equity, if we just 
do that, but but we don't get the hard part right, which is which is I think what you're struggling with, or 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 is become more and more important part of your brand and what you're talking about. Yeah, it's it's so interesting. It's it's um, you know, trying to work out um what we owe to one another. Hmm. You know, trying to work that out. Like O as in money or yeah. O as in, you know, the titans of industry could not have built their empires yeah. without the interstate highway, without the, you know, yeah. government-sponsored research. You mean, and then to to bleach all that out and say, I made it myself. Yeah. That's I, like I pulled myself up. <laughs> I pulled myself up. It was all you know, I was like on a pinnacle and I just went up one step, but I... So it, it's um, there's something you said. Yeah. So I oh, I just wanted to mention, um, and you can toss this in or put it in the show notes. There's a a man named Manfred Maxneef, M A X N E E F. He was Chilean. I don't think he's alive anymore. Maybe he is, but he's quite old. Um, he's a Chilean economist. They used to call him the barefoot economist. He got the right livelihood award. And what he, he, he discerned that there's basically nine human needs, only one of which is for self-provisioning. The other eight are leisure, learning, affection. And he would rate societies on he would almost create a, a graph of a society on how well they met all those needs. And I think we're, we don't understand in the United States how impoverished we are because we have yes. a focus on only one need. Yes. yes, very much. And we've reified that and we've made it so that it's embarrassing to talk about the need for philosophy, the need for leisure, the need for love, the need for family, the need for creativity and culture, you know, that's what I'm talking about in the heart, heart centered yeah. approach is that there's eight other needs, if you will, that are being starved because we have this focus on the rational. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts.